Veterans Day is uh, Wednesday, and as we often do, always do, last many years, uh, we would like to honor our veterans today. And so, if you are a veteran right now, we would like you to stand up and be recognized. If you would do that for us, would you please stand? I'd like you to remain standing. Yeah, if you'll remain standing just for a few moments. We're actually trying to give you just a very small token, but it's a token of our appreciation for you and and what you have done for us and our country. And we recognize that uh, our country is free, not because of politicians or preachers. Our country is free because since the founding of our country, men and women have been willing to risk their lives to defend our freedoms. And we thank you very much for that. I'd like you guys to remain standing, and ladies, uh, just for a moment, and then I'd like to, to pray for us and you and thank God for you. Let's pray together. Father God in heaven, we thank you um, for your goodness. We, we live in the freest country in the world, Lord, and we thank you for that. And the country with the most religious freedom in the world. We thank you for that, and we know that doesn't come without a cost. And we thank you for these who have served our country faithfully, answered the call, Lord, and were willing to put their life on the lines, putting their life on the line for us. And Father, we, we just thank you for your goodness. Lord, as, as believers... We use our freedom uh, to stand up and give voice to the most, most vulnerable people in our country and, and in the world. And Lord, sometimes uh, we don't understand everything that happens, uh, Lord, but we trust you and we thank these men and women for serving our country. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you very much. We appreciate you. There's a small token of our appreciation. It comes with a card. What we're finding is sometimes it's hard for us to identify uh, which of our people in church are veterans. And so filling out that card helps us to do that. So we encourage you, drop it off at the information table. We'd appreciate that uh, for future Veterans Day. It just helps us to, to honor you. Um, in a better way. So appreciate you doing that. Well, uh, it's, been a, it's been a crazy year that we've been dealing with, and then it's been a crazy week uh, that, that we've been dealing with, right? And, uh, and it's easy when, when things aren't going our way, no matter what issue it is that's bothering you, it's easy for us to get frustrated or, or even angry or fearful but, but I think mostly kind of frustrated. And when we do that, whether it's frustration or anger or fear, what we end up doing a lot of times is we question God. God, why? Why did this happen? How could this have been? You know, where were you? This doesn't seem like the right plan. 
Lord, uh, you know, right when it seems like we're, we're getting some traction in the courts for, for standing up for the most vulnerable in our country, then all of a sudden it seems like we're, we're taking two steps back. You know, what's going on? What's the plan? I don't understand. It doesn't make sense. Well, today, today I'm going to do something a little different, and, and we're going to look at a, a national leader in the history of Israel in the Old Testament, and, and so it's going to be like story time. Are you okay with that, story time today? So I think there's a lot that we can learn from this person and, and how the things he was going through, he had a lot of the same questions that we have, went through different stuff, but same questions. And I think his story has a lot of application for us. So let me set the context before we turn into Judges. But the context is this. This is a period in Israel's history. If you'll remember, what happened is uh, God started Israel with a man named Israel and his uh, man named Abraham and his family. And then they ended up in Egypt. And then they ended up enslaved in Egypt, the Israelite people, for 400 years. After 400 years... God calls a man named Moses to deliver Israel to, to win their freedom, and that happens. They leave, God does a miraculous work, they leave Egypt, they end up wandering around in the wilderness for about 40 years until finally they go into the kingdom. When that happens, Moses dies, and Joshua leads them into this promised land, the land of Canaan. And Joshua goes in with his people and conquers the land, which the Bible tells us was a judgment on those people. And now, as they get their land going, basically everything's good for a while, but they, they keep having this cyclical problem in that they would follow God and things would go well. And then as a country, they would drift from God further and further, and then terrible things would happen to their country until finally they would call out to God, and then God would raise up a deliverer, and then he would kind of rally everybody, and then they would turn back to God, defeat their enemies, usually turn back to God, and then everything would be good for a while. So that, that kept happening over and over and over. Now, at this time, they're, they're in the promised land, but they've turned away from God. They're worshiping false gods, and they have big-time problems. And, and their problems were called Midianites. They're everywhere. And so we pick it up in Judges chapter 6. Here's what the first verse says. It says, Then the sons of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hands of Midian seven years. And the hands of Midian, this, the Midianites were a nomadic tribe, and they actually led a confederation of several tribes, including the Amalekites. And what they were doing is every year at harvest time, they would just sweep into Israel. They would overwhelm Israel. They would, they would just be everywhere, and they were just marauders, and they would steal everything from Israel. And Israel wasn't strong enough to stand against them. So every year they would go out and plant their crops, tend their crops, 
And then right at harvest time, here comes this huge horde of people. They would come in, steal them blind, take all their crops. And the Israelites just laid low. They didn't want to get killed. They either hunkered down in their houses and hoped they would just take the stuff and leave. Some of them fled into caves. During the, when, the, when they came in, they would leave and go you know, hide in the mountains and in the hills just to stay safe. And so that's what's happening. If you can imagine trying to feed your family in that kind of a situation, I mean, you're planting your crops and you have these animals, you're just trying to survive. And then these enemy people kind of just take, come in and take everything. There's nothing you can do about it. And that happens for seven years. Finally, although Israel hadn't paid any attention to God in the last several years, they finally, it gets so bad, and they start starving, and they start crying out to God. And they, they're asking Him for help. It's kind of like we do. You know, life goes good, and, and a lot of times we don't think about God much. And then when things go bad, we're, go, we're, we're God, where are you? What happened? How, how could you allow this? What's the deal? That's Israel. And then God came to a man named Gideon. I'll pick it up in verse 11 of Judges 6. It says, Then the angel of the Lord came and sat under the oak that was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash, the Abiezrite, as his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress in order to save it from the Midianites. And so here we have this picture of this guy. He's, instead of threshing wheat or beating out wheat the normal way where you separate it and then you kind of throw it up. Let the He's down in a wine press, which is usually in low in bedrock. I have a picture of it here for you. And, you know, he's kind of hunkered down and he's trying to, to beat out his wheat. He's trying to thresh his wheat where nobody can see him. He's hiding while he's doing this. It's not a very effective way. And I think we're told this detail just so God lets us know right off the top that Gideon, he's no... Navy SEAL. You know, he's hiding. He's trying to avoid conflict with the enemy. And then it picks up in the next verse, 12. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, the Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. Which is really kind of interesting. Valiant warrior, mighty warrior is what that means. He's hiding. It's a strange thing, mighty warrior. So we're kind of figuring that out. Not what any... Not the thought that would come to anyone's mind if they saw Gideon. And then it continues. Then Gideon said to him, Oh my Lord, if the, the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles which our fathers told us about saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. And so in Gideon's frustration, like his countrymen, he's crying out to God, and he questions God, just like we do. If God is with us, if this is the right thing, God, why didn't it happen? Where is he? I don't get it. Where are you, God? We tend to question God, and some of you might be asking those questions right now. God, what's going on? I don't understand the plan here. God doesn't explain everything to Gideon. I mean, he could have said, well, Gideon, it's what I told you before you even came into the land, that if you guys would follow me, things would go well, but if you, you would start worshiping all these other gods, things are going to go very bad for you. But God doesn't explain all that to Gideon. 
But God does answer Gideon. Here's what he says, verse 14. The Lord looked at him and said, Go in this your strength and deliver Israel from the hand of Midian. Have I not sent you? And he said to him, O Lord, how shall I deliver Israel? Behold, my family is the least in Manasseh, and I'm the youngest in my father's house. But the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat Midian as one man. Here, we have this thing where he's saying, Hey, I'm sending you, and I will be with you. And Gideon's just like, I'm not getting this. I I remember once when I played high, uh, high school football, I say played, but I was at this time I was an underclassman and I, I probably didn't play a, game, a, a play in this game. But anyway, we're, we're at this uh, nearby town. I was in Pueblo, Colorado, and we played La Junta, Colorado, and it was kind of a rivalry, 50 miles away. We go there and we play this game. I don't remember what happened in the game or I don't even remember who won the game. What I do remember that sticks out in my mind is after the game, the people on the opposing stands were very upset at our team. I don't really remember if they were mad at the, the refs or what. All I knew is, and, and they, were, they had their uh, stadium was under construction, and we didn't have a place to go after the game was over. We had to go back to our buses. Well, between us on the field and the buses was an angry mob of about 200 people throwing rocks and bottles at our team. So we all have our helmets on because, I mean, missiles are coming in. The coaches get in the middle of us, and they're, they're dodging rocks and projectiles and bottles, and they're sort of weighing the options, and then they say, well, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go right through this little field gate here, and through this crowd, it's the only way to get to our bus, and then we're going to climb on the bus. Now, when I say go, everybody goes. We're going to go quickly. Do not stop for anything. Just keep going. All right, so this is the plan. As I'm listening on the outskirts to the plan, I realize that the bus is over there. And so when we turn to go, I'm in the front. And I should not have been in the front. But I'm determined. I'm like, okay, I see this angry mob, and so I just start jogging. Because I realize if somebody stops me, there is going to be a brawl, and we're going to get the worst of it. So I just start jogging. They're throwing things, and I'm heading right for this crowd through the field gate, and I'm just like, okay, when I get to the first person, I'm just going to have to keep going. No matter what, I'm just going to knock them over, get past them. So I just got to keep moving. And so I'm going. We go through the gate, and now we're right in the crowd. And then all of a sudden, the crowd is just parting. They're scattering. And I'm just like, wow, this is going way better than I thought this could go. And I'm trying pretty soon, I'm really, wow. And then I realize, oh, there's 80 men right behind me, bigger guys, upperclassmen that are running right behind me. And we're going, these people are scattering as we just ram our way through there. And all of a sudden, when I realize that, then I get real confident. Then I'm like, get out of our way. We're coming through. You know, my whole attitude changed, right? Why? Because I had 80 teammates with me. Believer, Christian, we have God with us. Do we understand that? We have God with us. We don't live in fear. 
God has called us. We have him on our side. This is what's happening. Now, Gideon here, he starts offering excuses. He's like, whoa, whoa, God, you're, you're sending me to go out against this army? You don't understand, God. I'm from the tribe of Manasseh. We're not like Judah, the big tribe, or Benjamin, the really good fighters, left-handed guys. You know, we're, we're, I, I'm Manasseh tribe. We're not a powerful tribe. Oh, and by the way, I'm from one of the smallest families that are in Manasseh, the least of the families of Manasseh. And by the way, I'm the youngest in my family. This is a bad plan, God. That's what he's saying. Bad plan. I don't, I don't get it. And God sends him anyway. First, God tells him, hey, Gideon, the first thing I want you to do is there is an altar to Baal near your house and an Asherah pole. I want you to go, take your dad's bulls, pull the altar down, destroy it, cut the Asherah pole, which is made out of wood, down, and then build a fire, make a sacrifice to God. You know, and he's just like, what? And he's just, he's not getting it. And by the way, Baal was the god of the Midianites and the Amalekites and, and some other tribes in that region. And it was just bad news. Worship of Baal was even what in our standards today we would call evil. There was religious prostitution going on, just a ton of open sexual immorality. The more perverse, the better, because the more you were acting out sexually, then the more that would excite the gods sexually, and then that would be, make the ground more fertile kind of an idea. And, and then when things get spin out that way, well, then the other thing that was attached to Baal is infant sacrifice. You know how much we, we take care of our children well, people were actually sacrificing their babies and their young children in fire to this god, Baal. That was part of worshiping Baal. I mean, the Baal worship had to start, had to stop. And so God's calling Gideon to take care of that. But here's the kicker. The altar to Baal wasn't built by the Midianites. The altar to Baal near Gideon's house was built by the Israelites and the Asherah pole. They're the ones who put it up. And even Gideon's father was probably part of that. And that's how far south everything has gone. And we pick it up in verse 27. Then Gideon took 10 men of his servants and did as the Lord had spoken to him because he was too afraid of his father's household and the men of the city to do it by day. He did it by night. So Gideon's thinking, this is not a great plan. So he kind of chickens out. But he does it, but he does it in the cover of darkness. And he does that because he's afraid of the men of his dad's household. I mean, he takes these servants, but these are probably his dad's servants. And then the men of the city. But at night, he pulls down the altar. He cuts up the Asherah pole. He does all the stuff under the cover of darkness. But then sure enough, in the morning, I mean, it's a small town. They see it. They pretty pretty quickly figure out, oh, Gideon did this. They ask around, do an investigation. It's Gideon. So a mob from the city comes to Gideon's house to kill him. And then something, a little twist, is Gideon's dad, who's a Baal worshiper, steps out and confronts the mob and said, hey, you guys are going to kill him. Hey, if, if Baal is God, let Baal deal with Gideon. And they say, yeah, okay, 
So that's what they do. So they leave and Gideon is, is spared. And uh, meanwhile, while all that's happening, 135,000 Midianites and Amalekites and other tribes sweep into Israel even more than before. There's just a ton of these people. It's right at the height of all these people coming in. Gideon knows God's called him, and so he did the one thing, and he survived that. So then Gideon recruits an army. 32,000 Israelites show up. 32,000 Israelis come, and they take up arms to fight with Gideon. But it's 32,000 against 135,000 of the enemy, so not, not great odds there. And Gideon starts to question God again. He's saying, God, are you sure this is a good plan? This doesn't seem to make sense. And so Gideon's he's, he's questioning God, so he asks God for a sign. God's already told him to do it. God's already said he's going to be with him, but he, he's, he's afraid. He's questioning God, so he asked God for a sign. And what he asked was this. He said, okay, God, here's the deal. Uh, I'm going to go to bed, but I'm going to put out this wad of wool called a fleece. I'm going to set that outside my tent, and I'm going to go to bed. And when I get up in the morning, if the ground is all dry, but my, that fleece, that wool, is soaking wet, then I'll know this is what you want want me to do. I'll, I'll know. That'll be a sign from you. I should go ahead with this battle. And so he does that. He wakes up in the morning. The ground is perfectly dry. He grabs this fleece, this hunk of wool, and he wrings it out, and it's a whole bowl full, full of water. It's like sham wow. I mean, he rings this and it just fills up a bowl of water, all kinds of water. And then he starts thinking, hold it now. You know, that could have happened naturally, right? I mean, there's dew on the ground, and then the dew dries. Maybe the dew dried from the ground, but it left in the wool. Wow, I didn't do that right. So he starts second-guessing himself. So he goes to God again and says, hey, God, don't be mad, but could we redo that one only the opposite way? Could you, I put out the fleece, and then you make it where the fleece is bone dry, but the ground is wet. Let's do it that way. And by the way, that's the problem with asking for signs from God is because half the time if God gives you a sign, it won't be enough. You'll be going, well, I don't, that, could have just had, that could have been a coincidence. I don't know. That's the problem with that. And so if you've been around Christianity a very long time, then you've probably heard this, I put out a fleece before God. I put out a fleece before God. And I get that people do that, but I just want to remind you, that's not a positive thing. I mean, God did it, so I'm not saying it's, it's not legitimate, but I'm just saying this is not a great sign of trust. God has specifically told him to do this, and he's putting out this fleece. Basically, it's a sign of distrust. But God humors him, and God makes it happen, and he reverses it. Now, now Gideon He's, he's convinced. So he's ready. He's got his 32,000. He's ready to roll. And then all of a sudden he's ready to go. And then what happens? God's not ready to go. God says, hold it. He's like, what? God's saying, well, hey, it, it seems to me, Gideon, this is God saying to Gideon, you got a numbers problem. And Gideon's like, God, I am so glad you said that. 
Because like there's 32,000 of us, there's 135,000 of them. They're everywhere. Man, I I thought you were going to have me go out there with the 32. And God says, well, that's not exactly the problem. He says, send everyone home who's afraid. We pick it up in verse 2 of chapter 7. The Lord said to Gideon, the people who are with you are too many. For me to give Midian into into their hands. For Israel would become boastful saying, my own power has delivered me. Now therefore, come, proclaim in the hearing of the people saying, whoever is afraid and trembling, let him return and depart from Gilead. So 22,000 people returned, but 10,000 remained. Okay. Gideon was outnumbered four to one. Then Gideon makes this announcement, hey, anybody who's scared, just go on back home. It's okay. And 22,000 of his 32,000, they leave. And he's left with 10,000 people who are too afraid to admit that they're scared to go into battle four to one. That's all he's got left. And then here's what happens. Now they're outnumbered 13 to one. Judges 7.4. Then the Lord said to Gideon, the people are still too many. Bring them down to the water and I'll test them for you there. And so Gideon is told to, hey, separate the army by how they drink water. So he takes them where they can drink. They all drink. And most of them just, you know, drop down and suck up the water. They drink. But some cup the water while they're standing and they kind of lap it up out of their hand. And very few people are doing it that way. And God says, I'll take the 300 lappers out of your 10,000 men. And the Lord said to Gideon, verse 7, I will deliver you with the 300 men who lapped and will give the Midianites into your hands. So let all the other people go, each man to his home. So the 300 men took the people's provisions and their trumpets into their hands. And Gideon's still questioning God. He's going, hold it, God. First, it's all through this story he's questioning God. God, why are we being overrun by the Midianites? You know, you say you know what's going on. This is a bad plan. They're destroying your country. And then God says, well, go, you know, take down the altar. And Gideon's like, well, God, that's a bad plan. You know, I'm going to do it at night so I don't get killed. I'm going to do it, but it doesn't sound like a great plan. Then he recruits an army, and God says, too many people tell everybody who's afraid to go on home. So 22,000 people leave, and Gideon's going, bad plan, God. Do not understand this. We didn't have enough before. And then God says, still too many. Get rid of 9,700 of your 10,000 by how they drink water. And Gideon's like, That's not a good plan, God. This is not good at all. And today, God does the same thing. Sometimes God does just the opposite of what we think is logical and needs to be done. And God does the opposite thing. And we're going, whoa, God, do you see what's going on here? And 
it, this is the opposite thing that needs to be done. And we question God. It can be frustrating because we think we know what's best. We, we see it all mapped out before us. We're accomplishing God's purpose. This is the way this should go. And God says, no, I see more than you see. I have a different way. And we think, no, God, I know what you say, so I know what's best for my life and my family and my country. And God says, I see more than you see. Because we can't see what God sees. We don't know the future. We don't know how God uses good and bad and weaves it together for his purposes. We can't see that. Re remember we talked about Job? We went through the book of Job a couple of months ago. And these terrible things happened to Job, and jo we know why. We're told as we read the story, but Job didn't know. The guy in the story, he doesn't know why. And just happens. And then he questions God. Why? This makes no sense. This is a bad plan, God. I do not get it. You've treated me wrongly. I'm frustrated. And then finally, what happens? God shows up, right? But even when God shows up, he doesn't tell Job what was going on. He just says, hey, you're questioning me. Here's who I am. Trust me. And that's what Job does. But he doesn't answer all of his questions. And that's exactly where Gideon's at. He's afraid and his life is on the line. And then that's where we pick it up in Judges 7, beginning in verse 9. Now, the same night it came about that the Lord said to him, Arise, go down against the camp, for I have given it into your hands. But if you are afraid to go down, do you think he's afraid? Yeah, he's afraid. But if you are afraid to go down, go with Pura, your servant, down to the camp, and you will hear what they say. And afterward, your hands will be strengthened that you may go down against the camp. So he went with Pura, his servant, down to the outpost of the army that was in the camp. So they're sneaking up, and then they're listening to what the guys in the outpost of the camp are saying. Now, the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the sons of the east were lying in the valley as numerous as locusts, and their camels were without number, as numerous as the sand on the seashore. And when Gideon came, behold, a man was relating a dream to his friend. And he said, Behold, I had a dream, and a loaf of barley bread was tumbling into the camp of Midian. And it came to the tent and struck it so that it fell, and it turned it upside down so that the tent lay flat. And his friend replied, This is nothing less than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, the man of Israel. God has given Midian and all the camp into his hand. And when Gideon heard the account of the dream and its interpretation, he bowed in worship. He returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has given the camp of Midian into your hands. Do you see what's happening here? He, he sneaks in. He's afraid. God says, well, if you're afraid, take your buddy, sneak in, get close to the camp, and listen to what they're saying. And then what do they hear? 
some, some enemy soldier has a dream about a loaf of bread. A loaf of bread rolls from the hills down into the valley where their camp's at. I, I, I preach this first hour, second hour, a, a, a friend of mine, a lady came up and said, mentioned the service and she said, and it reminded me I need a loaf of bread on my way home. <laughs> and that's really not what the sermon was about. I told the husband, next time I'll try to work in cookies, you know, whatever. <laughs> but a loaf of bread, a loaf of bread rolls into the camp and knocks a tent down. Yeah, and what's, what's the other guy saying? Wow. How's he even heard of Gideon? This is, the, this is Gideon. This is the sword of Gideon. He's, they're going to wipe us out. God had a plan. So he, the battle goes this as the rest of chapter 7. Gideon, he gets his men. He gets them in the night. He says, we're going to divide up into threes. They have all this equipment because everybody left. Remember, they left all their stuff. And he says, everybody grab a trumpet. Not usually... Hardly anybody had trumpets. Everybody get a trumpet. Everybody get a torch. Everybody get a pot and cover the torch. Light your torches. Come on, let's go. They're like commandos, only they don't have any weapons out. They split up into three companies. They surround the camp of Midian. And then Gideon says, hey, when I blast the trumpet, break the pots, show the torches, and everybody blasts on the trumpet. And so they do that. When they do that in the middle of the night, it freaks all these tribes out. They wake up, they're already spooked, they start slicing and dicing everybody in the dark, and pretty soon they're all killing each other, and then they start running away. They flee. The rest of the chapter is about how Gideon sort of pursues them and wipes out the remainder of their army, and then there's peace in Israel for 40 years. What's the point? God had a plan but it didn't make sense to Gideon. And it wouldn't have made sense to us either if we were there. And he's just going, what? He questioned God. And right now, a lot of us do the exact same thing. We question God. God, why? How could this be? What's going on? I don't understand. This can't be the plan. It's a bad plan. What's God want us to do? He wants us to trust him, to keep following him. Why? Well, we should trust him because God's smarter than we are. God knows the future. God can use everything to work his purposes, evil and good, mysteriously. Isaiah put it this way in verse 8. He says, for my thoughts, this is God speaking, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Do you see what God's saying there? He's saying, my thoughts are not like your thoughts. The gap between our thoughts and God's thoughts are like, is like the gap between the sole of our shoes and the furthest star in heaven. He's saying, that's the gap of my ways and your ways. I know the future. I know everything that's going to happen. Paul sort of commented on this in the New Testament. He said this in Romans eleven thirty three: Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. 
How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. We ask, God, why? Why? Do you realize if God came down and gave us the answer, we probably wouldn't be able to follow it. It'd probably like, what? We'd be going, what? This is going to happen? Yeah, and this, and you divide this by nine. We, you know, we'd just be going, what? What? Whatever you're experiencing, whatever emotions you have, fear, anger, frustration, God is with us, first of all. And he's calling us to trust him. We just keep doing what God has called us to do. And we let God work everything else out. In the meantime, we know as we're doing what God wants us to do, that he is with us. And by the way, he has told us something. He's told us the end of the story, right? Keep trusting God. Keep following Him. We know how all this turns out. Don't give up. Don't get tired. Don't get frustrated. Don't get angry with God. Don't just start questioning, questioning, questioning. God has a plan. And we need to be faithful in to do our part of that plan because he uses us to help accomplish his purposes. Let's stand together. And I'm going to pray and then our band's going to come out and close us in a song before we leave. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, we thank you for our country. We love our country. We thank you for our country. Has more freedom than any country in the world and more religious freedom than any country in the world. There's no socialist country that has the freedoms we have. God, thank you for that. And Father, we understand that you are still on the throne. God, that you have given us your work to do. Lord, that we would keep pointing people toward you, that we would keep standing up for the most vulnerable around us. And Lord, we know that you're with us. And you have a plan. Lord, help us to be faithful. In Christ's name, in Christ's name we pray because we trust you. Amen.